Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. Now we will go into the message. Amen. When you came in, you should have gotten one of these papers. Um, we are doing a uh, study on the book of Ephesians. Um, I hope you guys are uh, following along with us. We encourage you to read along. We're going to do a chapter a week. We're not going to go verse by verse, but we will go chapter by chapter and then pick out um, several verses within um, the chapter. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to invite the Lord here just to, uh, to do what he does. God, I thank you for the privilege of speaking your word. Lord, I completely am unworthy to speak about the living, eternal, pure word of God. But I thank you for the privilege, and I pray you would speak. I pray your word would speak, and I pray you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A little bit of background. Last week we started, and I just gave background on the city. And if you weren't here, you can go online and listen on the, um, on the website uh, to the message. But we talked about Ephesus. And a few points that we talked about is that Ephesus was a very powerful city, probably about 225,000 people in the ancient world. Think about the infrastructure you would have to have to have that many people when there's no Amazon, there's no electricity, there's no... There's no anything but carts and mules and, you know, soldiers. I mean, it was, it was pretty tough. Uh, it was um, the, uh, probably the, the center of the, of the Roman Empire in Asia. It was powerful. It was built on the fertility goddess. They would worship this goddess of fertility, which meant the S word, all right? And not the one that means poop, but the other S word. And it was all about um, worshiping this god that was all about that. And they built the whole whole religion on sex. Sex. Jesse didn't know what the word was. I had... All right. Sorry about that. I apologize. I tried not to say it, but if she's not following along, then there's other people too. So the whole religion was built on that. The whole city was, was financially dependent upon this idol worship, and then you got a group of Christians that formed there. And they were just changing the city so much that people stopped buying idols. And I tried to explain it. It's like going to Disney World. And you know how in Orlando, everywhere you stop, you can buy a Mickey Mouse shirt or a Mickey Mouse hat or a Mickey Mouse something. Well, the whole city was all built around the idols. Everything you went, it was like branded. That's why people went there. It was where they traveled far distances. And then now you have these group of believers that are like, we shouldn't worship this God because the real God is more powerful than that. And they stopped worshiping these idols, and they were changing the city, but it was causing some conflict, so much so that the city started to riot. And 25,000 people, because that's about how much, 24 to 25,000 people could fit in their amphitheater, rioted and grabbed the Christians, and for two hours were screaming at them screaming at them, and you can't do this, you're destroying the city, this is, we worship the idol, and, and all of our financial wealth comes from this idol, and selling these, these fake, the many idols, and, and you can't do this, you're destroying everything. 25,000 people screaming and yelling, and, and then so much so that Paul has to leave. Paul was the one who started the church, and later on he writes them a letter, and it's what we know as Ephesians. And so we're going to go through and we're going to look um, at it. The first uh, two verses, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, 
Um, they're, they're not on your paper, but we can put them on the screen. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So who's he writing to? Because it's important. Number one, he's writing to the saints and he's writing to the faithful that are in Christ Jesus. And that's who he's writing to. That's what he opens it up about. And when you read your Bible, you should pay attention to the words. You should not realize that when Paul wrote the Bible, he did not write verse 1, period, and then wrote something down. Verse 2, period, and wrote something down. He just wrote a letter. And later on, there were so many scriptures that were like, we have to organize these some way. So we gave them names. Well, what do we call it? He wrote it to Ephesus. Let's call it Ephesians. Well, Ephesians is so big, how do we break it down? He says, well, we'll make it chapters. And then we'll make verses. And so Paul is writing a letter. So I want you to know these verses because they're going to set up the verses we're going to talk about today. You've got to understand he's writing to the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. So verse 3. And it's a lot of reading, okay? But I'm going to tell you something. Reading is good. It's good for your brain. Okay, so we're going to read through it, and we're going to deal with it, and then we're going to study it, and I won't, I'll try not to take a, a too long of a time. Um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, look at that, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us, in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making, us, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, we're almost done. Hang in there. In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him and were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. For those of you with short attention spans, I apologize. But I think we could follow it along. And I know it's hard to read that much sometimes. But if you notice that I put emphasis on and I tried to put colors on and I put it in your paper that it's in him appeared a lot in that chapter, no? Like it was all over that chapter. In him, in Christ, in the beloved. And have you ever noticed that when you talk to somebody, you can really hear what they care about? Like if you talk to somebody and all they're talking about is their boats, the man cares about boats. If you talk to somebody and all they care about is shopping, they're talking about shopping. 
or guns or politics or fitness. You read people's statuses. It's all about buy this workout thing, buy this workout thing. Try this essential oil. Cures cancer. And you're like, they care about essential oils. They care about working out. They care about this. What did Paul care about? What was the point of these verses? It's about being in Christ. Who were they written to? To the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Verses 1 and 2, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. They were in that city, Ephesus, and I want to try to help you understand this. Ephesus was bad, completely against God in every way, religiously, financially, socially, economically, governmentally. It was all against Christ, and they were in this city. And Paul is saying the only way you will survive in this city is if you are in Christ. They were in the city, but in Christ and protected. I have food in my refrigerator. It's chicken. The only reason that it is good in my house is because it is in the fridge. Amen? Take the chicken out of the fridge, you get sick. Chicken goes in the fridge, it's safe. I have a cell phone, and I'm a man. I have a case. Without the case, my phone would have broken probably 30 times this weekend. I drop it. I crack it. I, I have to have a case. The cell phone is in my hand, but it is also in a case. In our yard, we have that um, grass. And I haven't, with my back been hurting, I haven't been able to do a lot of yard work like normal the past year. So we got that grass that has all that burr weed or whatever. Like they hurt, they stab you, and it's like... So when you walk in the yard, your feet are in shoes. If not, the burrweed is in your foot. And if you want to survive in this world, you better be in Christ. Because God's not taking you out of this world. As good as it's going to be, some, a brother in the church says, hey, my, I think it was his cousin passed away or a family member, he's doing the funeral tomorrow. He was asked to share words and he's thinking about you know, what do I say? And he was talking about the glories. He was a believer and the fact that, yes, heaven is better than here. Heaven is good. But we're here. And if you're going to survive here, you better learn how to be in him. And that's my, um, that's my, uh, what I believe this is about. So the theme of these verses is being in Christ. Like, that's the theme. Now, I want to tell you something. You know, sometimes you can look at scriptures, and, and, and back there in the back, Rachel, if you go up into the announcements, there's a picture of a shoe. And if you could find the picture of a shoe and put it on the screen, it'll make sense in a second. Promise it will. But the theme of these verses is being in Christ. Now, you ever seen one of these pictures? Now, now we're looking at the same picture. How many people see something that is blue? Raise your hand. Anybody? I see blue. How many people see something that is pink on the screen? You're wrong. You need glasses, colorblind. I don't know what it is. I see blue. Now, now some people see pink. And there was that thing like Yanni and Laurel where you could hear like one thing or hear another. Now, you're looking at it and you're saying, Chris, how do you see blue? And I say, because the thing is blue. You're saying, how do you see pink? And you're like, well, because it's pink. 
Now, we're looking at the same picture, and the reality is, is that it's got some pink tones and it's got some blue tones, and depending on who you are, you're going to see different tones in it. It looks great. Somebody says it looks great. Well, you're really wrong. But we're looking at the same picture, the same shoe, and we're focused on different parts. So when you look at the book of Ephesians, I want to challenge you, if you know this book inside and out, and if you've read this before, or you come with your, your pre Uh, conceived ideas, you may be convinced that it just says one thing, but it might say something else too, because a lot of times the Bible is bigger than us, in fact, every time, and sometimes it can say more than it really we think it does on the first reading. So the theme of this verse, of this chapter, is being in Christ, and I want you to pay attention to the pronouns, because who did the pronouns point to? Well, they were in verse 2. Pronouns matter. The pronouns point to the saints, to the faithful in Christ. We talked about that last week. Saints mean those who are set apart. You're in the city, but God is also protecting you and keeping you safe in Christ. You're in the yard, but your foot is safe in the shoe the saints, and the faithful, those who are faithful, those who maintain faith. See, in in Christianity, we begin by faith, and we're kept by faith, and we end in faith in Christ. So if that's you, if you believe, when you read through these scriptures, if you are a saint, somebody set apart who believes, and, and you're faithful, not perfect, but to the faithful who believe even when you mess up, and even when it doesn't make sense, then you could take this scripture, and and in a lot of ways, you can apply this to yourself. And we're going to go through it and look at what this set of scriptures says to the saints and the faithful in Christ. Um, And it's on the back, and there's a few points. Um, Number one, we're going to go back up to verse three. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you realize Psalm says the uh, heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth was given unto the sons of men? Heaven, Christ reigns. In heaven, do you know when it talks about the enemy, the devil being kicked out of heaven? It says, Jesus says, and you can go look it up, go Google it. He looked it up, he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Do you know how fast it was when Jesus kicked the enemy out? It was like lightning. How fast is that? That's how fast the battle went. The enemy turned, and Jesus went boom, like lightning. And he was kicked out of heaven. It wasn't this long, big battle, and, you know, Jesus is bleeding, and he's bloody. And No, the fact when he was bleeding and bloody, it was the battle for our sin. But that's not how it was when he fought the enemy. It was like lightning. And the heavens are completely blessed. There is no, no sin, no sadness, no sickness. And in this first uh, verse of cha- chapter 3, when we see, uh, ver- chapter 3, verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. See, in Christ, every blessing of heaven comes to us on earth. That's what it sounds like he's saying. The blessings of heavenly places are coming to you in Christ. You are protected and you are blessed. You are, you are kept safe. 
you are kept protected. And so that's the first blank you can fill in, that every blessing of heaven comes to us on earth. I want to go down and I want to look at verse 4 a little bit. So we're blessed with every spiritual blessing, but verse 4, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That is insane. That is crazy. I can't wrap my mind around that. That he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, one thing about God in time is God in time does not work like me and you in time. Me and you, it's pretty much linear. Yesterday was back there, tomorrow is in front, and I'm right here. But God in time doesn't work that way. And, and, and this is really hard to understand. But God is just as present before the world began as he was yesterday, as he is today, as he is tomorrow. God is just as present. God doesn't experience time the way we experience time. He is beyond time. He created time. So for you in the past, when you first came to Christ and, and Christ was there, and you're sitting here in this chair and you feel God's presence here, I don't know that it's that big of a difference for God, however that works, but before the foundation of the world, before Adam had even sinned, before anything had even happened, he chose us. Who is us? Who are the pronouns? The saints. The faithful in Christ Jesus. That should make you feel God chose you. God chose you. He likes you. He decided that, that, this, that you. And the answer we needed existed before the problem. Do you realize that Jesus wasn't God's plan B? I don't understand how it works. But God already had the answer in place before our problem existed. Before you were born, he had answered every problem you would face. Before the world was made, he had set it up to answer everything. Verse 7, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Lavished. That sounds fancy, right? You don't lavish anything in a gas station. You're not in the gas station with a hot dog. I lavish the relish on this. No. You lavish things on things that are valuable and things that are worthy and they lavished, that was like something at brunch. You know, I don't really go to brunch, but that sounds like a brunch thing. It was a lavish spread of whatever they give you at brunch. But it's because he chose you, and you're valuable. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. We have redemption. That word redemption and can mean a few different things, but to try to make it simple is we've been brought back to God. We are brought back to God. We were separated. Here's the thing. The distance between you and God was not God's fault. 
It was our fault. It was our sin. It was our, our, we separated ourselves. He never moved an inch. He can't move. He's everywhere. We moved. And before our problem existed, he set the plan in motion for Christ to be born and to bring us back in God. So before you ever walked away, he made it possible so that you could come back. If you are far from God today, you don't have to be because he has made the way in Christ. He's chosen you and he wants to lavish his love on you. We're brought back to God. Redemption. Going back to those verses, this is not only do we have redemption, not only are we brought back to God, but it says we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See, it's one thing to be brought back to God, but you could almost think that's like being brought back like a criminal. Like God has brought you back and now you're here and now it's time to pay. And you know there are some people that will pay for their sins. Now that's terrifying, but it's true, so you might as well know this. Like there are people that are going to pay for their sins. They're going to stand before God terrified and give an account for every careless word, every sin, everything they've done wrong, everything they've hidden, stuff that nobody else knew about. And God is going to demand judgment. But not the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn the forgiveness. God chose to give it to me. God gave it to me. We might be just as terrified. He's going to say, stand up. Well done, good and faithful servant. And you know, you cry for like a thousand years and blobber and snot, but there's no tears in heaven, so I don't know how it's going to work. But it's going to be amazing. Our sins are removed. God removed your sins in Christ. Like if you're for the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus, that's the next thing you can write is our sins are removed. He's taken them from you as far as the east is from the west, which is just beautiful before they even really knew the earth was some kind of ball that, that, that would work that way, it would have been just as easy for them to say the north from the south. It's funny. You know you know that. You can go north and south, and eventually you're going north and then south, but east and west will never meet. There's no east pole. There's no west pole. Our sins are removed. We don't have to experience judgment. That's, that's why we worship him. That's why we honor him. Verse 8 which he lavished upon us because we're valuable in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Do you know that in Christ we can know his will? We know his will, insight and wisdom. God wants to give you, what is his will? His will is, that, will is that you'd be redeemed, brought back to God. If you're faithful and saint in Christ Jesus, that he would give you wisdom and insight, that he would forgive your sins, that, that, that he would do, be the God you need him to be, that he would answer all your problems, and, and in Christ you would be safe and protected. That's his will. There's more than that. But his will is revealed in Christ. We'll go down a little bit more. Verse 9. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Where's God's purposes revealed? In Christ. 
Now, you might get tired of me saying in Christ, but if you're reading the Bible in any other way, you don't understand it. Because it's all about being in Christ. It's all about what Christ did. He's the, at the fullness of time, he came. The logos, the fullness of the expression of the wisdom and the will of God came and took on flesh, and he died for our sins. He died in our place. And he, and he became like us so that we could become like him. Adopted. But it says, the full, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Man, if it isn't, if it isn't a time and age where we need to know what it is like to have things united and to have God's purpose accomplished, and that's the next thing you can write, is that God's purpose is accomplished in Christ. You want to see God's will done. That's why you trust in Christ and hold on to Christ. And you can't get away from Christ because that's what Paul is talking about in these scriptures. And then if you look at the bottom of verse 10, it says, As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And this is the time when it seems like you can't even talk to people about anything because there's so much division. Am I right or am I wrong? You're right or it's like, I can't even make this joke. I can't even say this. Or I can't even, it's like we're walking on eggshells because the second you say something, you're going to offend people. And that's true. I offend people all the time. And so do you. And we're divided. But it says, in Christ, all things, everything in heaven and everything on earth will be united. He brings it all together. Imagine being in a place where you can just be, where there's no conflict, no fear that you're going to say something stupid because God has, has accomplished his purpose, and in Christ, heaven and earth become one. And that's what John talks about in Revelation. John led the church in Ephesus for a little while, and he did so well, the city kept getting turned around that they locked him in jail on an island, and he wrote the book of Revelation. And at the end of the book, you see heaven coming down to earth. And it's this amazing, crazy picture of heaven and earth becoming one with the Lamb on the throne. Verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance. Some of y'all don't have any inheritance. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but let's just be true. We, some of us don't have any inheritance. Others of us do. If you think about it, having an inheritance is better than not having an inheritance. Right? Knowing that when you die, like there might actually be something there. Versus somebody cutting you out of their will. Or having nothing of value to give you. But to know that somebody loves you enough that they, that they thought of you and they remembered your name and they, they put it in their will and they made that agreement that you would get this. Well, my grandfather was a smart businessman. He ran a scotch company. Praise God. Praise God for scotch. He made a lot of money selling scotch. Wealth of the wicked stored up for the righteous. Well, the one thing he bought me when I was born was some stock. It was a little bit of stock in a power company. That stock, when we got married, was what we used to kind of get married and get started. But it was my inheritance. It was this thing that I didn't do anything. I didn't earn it. I was the first grandchild and the grandson. He was sick and, you know, a little bit older. 
and he bought me this stock, and it just sat there, and it grew, and it multiplied. It wasn't hundreds of thousands of dollars, but we got married at 18. We had zeros of dollars. So it was more than zeros of dollars, and it helped us to get started in life. But it was my inheritance. Do you know God has an inheritance for you? That's good. We receive an inheritance in Christ. And, and we're moving through, but I just want you to see the blessings of Christ. Verse 13, in Him. You can't get away from it. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. Do you know that you're really expected to believe in Christ? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. Sealed. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Do you know you're sealed with the Holy Spirit? Think about what it is to seal something, whether it's a piece of wood that you pour some goo on. You know, I don't know, I'm a woodworker, but they pour goo or sap or oil and they soak it in there. I was at my buddy's house and he was, this guy was a woodworker and he came over and they were building some kind of cabinet and I was like, hey, that's cool. You guys are good with your hands. You know, I, I'm really not, but that's all right, you know. And the guy took motor oil and he's like, yeah, this isn't legal, but this is the best thing to do. He took motor oil and he rubbed it all over the wood. And all of a sudden, the wood, the colors on the wood and the line just popped out. It was beautiful. This thing that was made out of pallets that was basically junk with motor oil, it popped out. Now, he said, yeah, my, my family used to do this all the time. We'd do the, our roof and our siding and everything in motor oil. I'm like, all right, cool. It's probably toxic and flammable. I don't know. But it was sealed. And it was beautiful. And you know, God seals you. He marks you. He puts his imprint on you. You are his. And how does he do that? He does that with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we can't get away from is that in Christ, the Holy Spirit plays a big role. In fact, baptism, right? Baptism, you go under the water and you come out of the water. And what is it a point picture of? It's a point of the death and the burial resurrection of, of Christ. You're not resurrected unless you have the Spirit of God inside you. It also points back to Noah. And Noah, if you know, when the earth was flooded, how did the floodwaters begin to dry up? When the wind blew over the earth. God caused a wind to blow. When God brought them out of Egypt, he caused this wind to blow and the seas parted. And, and there's this, always this double um, work of, of Jesus and the Spirit of God where the promise of the Holy Spirit is important and it's essential. And yes, you believe in him, but then he pours out his spirit. He lavishes it on you, thick and rich. And it's exactly what you need. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? If God would give you his spirit, what would he hold back from you? Think about it. His spirit, like that's him. He gave you his spirit. What is he going to hold back? He's going to see it through until the end when you're resurrected and your body is adopted and your life is transformed and, and you're, you're moved. And so what do we do, right? Like 
all right, we think about this, what should we do? And I think Paul kind of wraps it up in the last couple verses, and so we're almost done, but it says, In him, when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, and you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So number one, you want to hear the word of truth, the gospel, the fact that Jesus, that's the next thing you can write in, hear the word of truth, the gospel, and believe in Jesus. You want to believe in him. You want to trust him. You want to put yourself in a position where you hear the gospel, where you allow God's word to to open your mind, where you get under good teaching or good preaching or good reading or, 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 or read it yourself. Number two, you want to believe in Jesus. Your faith should be in him. Your faith can't be in Chris. Chris is going to let you down. Your faith can't be in even the Bible. Like, uh, hear me out. Like, even the Bible. Like, it doesn't say believe in the Bible. It says believe in Jesus. Because we believe in Jesus, we find him in the Bible, and we know that he gave us this word to, to reveal himself. But there's times you come across things in the Bible, and you're like, well, what does that mean? I don't understand. People text me all the time. They're like, well, what about this? I'm like, well, this is how I see Christ in that. Because all Scripture points to me is what Jesus said. And this is how I see Christ in that. The next thing is you have to trust in his purposes, right? If he's the guarantee of our inheritance, you have to trust that he's going to fulfill what he promised. Good or bad, right or wrong, when the city is being transformed, like we talked about Ephesus was transformed and the idol business is going out of practice and people aren't being idols and you're like, yeah, we're taking this city for Jesus. And then two days later, they got you in the middle of the amphitheater and 25,000 people are screaming at you and you're like, God, where are you? Trust in his purposes. Trust that he's faithful. And so I ask yourself, is, are you putting yourself in a position where you can hear where you can believe, and where you can trust. I think there's a, some similarities in believing and trusting. But I want to pull out the fact that you have to believe in Christ and you have to trust and maintain that belief over time because the promises these scripture was written to, we saw it in verses 1 through 2, the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now some of you might be saying, well, I'm far from God and... God would like to change that now. In fact, he'd like to change that before the world was created because he said that before the world was created, he chose you. If God went through all that trouble for you, could you not just believe and hear and trust? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you just think about the glories and the wonders of God's promises in Christ? Now, I probably didn't do them the justice they deserve because they're wonderful. There's more meat on that bone than we could chew up right now. I'm not saying that was exhaustive of everything that's there. We could probably sit in these verses every day for five years and never, and never move on. So if you feel like doing that, go for it. Chew on them. Think about the promises and the blessings of Christ. Some of you need to write these down on your mirror or in your car and every day remind yourself in Christ what he's done for you. But if you're not walking with the Lord, 
If you're far away from Him, maybe your, your sin has kept you back and, and you need to trust Christ right now to remove that. Would you put your hand up right now? Let's just be honest because there's a judgment coming. Amen. If you need to get something right with God, today is the day. Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>